Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the Worship Yet to Come podcast, where we delve into history, politics, philosophy, and Christianity. In this episode, we're going to continue our focus on one of America's, one of the most iconic figures of the American Civil War, Stonewall Jackson. Um, join us as we explore the life, leadership, and strong faith of its enigmatic Confederate general. Hell yeah, and man. So, uh, yeah, picking, picking up where we left off last week. Yeah, well, you know, once again, thanks everyone who's listening and, you know, being a fan, especially our friends and family that have shown us some support. So it's happy to have a second episode yeah. uh, fully uh, coming out now. So back yeah. to where we were, I'm going to circle back to the whole Valley campaign, right? Yeah. And okay. I kind of didn't give a nice lead up to it, but I'm going to just kind of go back. So the Valley campaign, also known as Jackson's Shenandoah Valley campaign, was a series of maneuvers and battles confect, uh, conducted by Stonewall Jackson. And it took place between March and June of 1862. Now, the primary objective of this campaign was to divert the Union forces away from the Richmond area, where, you know, Robert E. Lee had his army of Northern Virginia, and he's preparing to face George McClellan's Army of the Potomac in the Peninsula Campaign. Now, Jackson was trying to keep guys occupied in the Shenandoah Valley and prevent them from reinforcing McClellan's advance. So we already went over the Battle of Kernstown, which was the opening battle of this campaign. And it begins with an attack uh, of Union forces under General Nathaniel Banks at Kernstown. You know, the Confederates were initially successful, but they're actually forced to withdraw. And the battle was considered a Union victory, but it's more of like a strategic victory for, for the South. I mean in war you know you got to give up positions you got to take positions and sometimes it's better to pull back and regroup or pull back to a stronger position and be able to pick your battles so absolutely yeah so after that it was the occupation of winchester and front royal so after the battle of kernstown jackson continued to move his men through the shandoah valley like we said last time they marched over it was a thousand kilometers between March and June. So that's, these guys are these yeah, guys are hauling yeah. ass. So mean, mean ass dude through this valley. During uh what'd you say, June, July? Yeah, it was March to June. Okay, yeah. God, and that like muggy ass <laughs> spring. <laughs> God, dude. Muddy yeah. muggy ass. I've never Shenandoah been to Virginia, Valley. but I don't know, is it like humid down there? Like what's what's the weather like? What's I mean, the weather I, situation? I've only been in early spring when it was still yeah. cold from the winter but if it's anything like texas i would I, I mean just i mean i've seen pictures of it so like there's so much yeah. like vegetation and things like that and stuff like that i would imagine that it gets muggy and <laughs> it was like shitty you know I, I would imagine that it gets very humid and just miserable so god i couldn't imagine that and again like we were we were saying before we even started last week's episode uh, like they're wearing wool. <laughs> yeah, I mean the uniforms <laughs> yeah. are terrible, man. God, just wearing wool and like, like you went to you went to Texas recently. Yeah, so, so Texas. Uh, imagine like like I was saying before last week's episode. Like, imagine that, but you're wearing a wool jacket and pants, <laughs> and, and you don't have shoes, or your shoes have holes in them. You know what I mean? You don't have socks, right? So just miserable, miserable, terrible. 
See, you know? the funny thing is, there's a reason why my ancestors came from Norway and Scotland, came to Canada because we like the cold and we stay in the cold. God. <laughs> I dude, I couldn't imagine that, man. Honestly, like when I was down to Texas, it was like plus forty. I was there for five days, like it was hot. I couldn't imagine like these guys in uniforms. Like I know they're not in Texas, but you know it's it's hot. It gets hot in the yeah, southern parts for... of America and muggy and humid. Yeah. For anyone uh, not Canadian uh, or for Americans, it's uh, 40 degrees Celsius, about 105 uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, it's just so hot. And like, it, it's not so much the temperature as it is the humidity in Texas. It's when you, when you, <laughs> like, when you open the door of your Airbnb, you just get the like the Mike Tyson punch of <laughs> the punch, Moisture. the Mike Tyson punch down the throat of just humidity and you're like jesus christ i cannot breathe you know <laughs> oh god it, the le the least favorite thing i like about texas is is it's so hot you know um but go back to going back to <laughs> back, back, yeah, back to yeah anyways like i was saying like sometimes you gotta you gotta pull back and uh try to achieve a different set of goals so essentially Whenever he pulls back after the Battle of Kernstown, he continues his movement through the Shenandoah Valley, and he captures the town of Winchester, and then he moves and secures uh, Front Royal. Now, when he does this, he actually disrupts the Union's communication and supply lines. So going back to what we were saying before about logistics and supplies, like Jackson understands he's got to mess with their supply lines or communication lines, yeah. and he may have lost the battle, his only lost battle, mm -hmm. but it was more of a strategic victory because he actually disrupted their communications supply lines. Yeah. And then, so, after, you know, Kernstown was March 23rd, and then, like, after that battle is when he kind of occupied Winchester and Front Royal. And then in about May, May 23rd, his forces attacked and defeated a Union garrison at Front Royal, and this further disrupted the Union operations in the Valley. So this man is, like, marching around Mess it up their supply lines, communication lines, and then just throws them into a battle. So, uh, what 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 he do after that? You know that. So after after them. after Front Royal was the first Battle of Winchester. So Jackson's Confederates engaged Union forces under General Banks in a battle near Winchester, and the Union forces were defeated. And Jackson continued to press his advantage. So this is one of those like the guy, the man doesn't stop. Like I said, default aggressive, default aggressive. Yeah. He's on it, he's marching his men around, engaging in battles, and he's literally just keeping these guys occupied so they can't pull off and go towards the Army of the Potomac. Because that point, like, uh, I'm pretty sure the Army of the Potomac hasn't fought in battle yet. So, like, everyone is scared of McClellan's army. They call him Little Napoleon, and like, they think this man is a genius. He's not. Okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they don't the know that. Is, yet. They don't know that. They, yet. Yeah, yeah. They don't know that the man is a complete failure, and it's all pomp and arrogance on his part. But at this point, they've assembled like the largest army in America, right? This is like I don't know how many yeah. men were in the army of the Potomac. Six, Let's look I think up. it was sixty thousand. I think it was sixty thousand. Yeah. But like, this is like the craziest, like, you know, mass of men. It's or. Is it what are they called? Army of Potomac? Yeah, that was. Mm, what what do they name it? 
Uh, well, back then the United States Army was divided into departments. So uh, okay. it was like Department of the Shenandoah and Department of the Rappahannock. Like they're named after the the uh, Shenandoah and Rappahannock rivers. Um, yeah. So uh, I believe it was, and those those are those are equivalent to corps. Um, so the Department of the Shenandoah was the 12th Corps, I think it was, and the Department of the Rappahannock was the 1st Corps. Um, okay, so, uh, sorry, what I was saying yeah. is the Army of Potomac grew from 50,000 people in July to 168,000 in November. And it became, like I said, the largest military force the United States has raised so, that time. Eventually, it got up to 273,000 men with 600 guns. God. Dude, that, was huh, that dude, for back then too, that is well, the thing. massive. At that time, you know, let's say most militaries prior to, I guess, the Civil War, it's small, small. I mean, the the Napoleonic arm, French army was massive, but I'm saying like most European countries had a small professional army. These yeah. men were full time soldiers, and these battles were fought between you know, 20,000, 30,000 men, like, and that was the battle. It was just small, small groups. They have these big key battles and that was it. And then as war progresses, like say the Napoleonic Wars, the levee on mass from Napoleon, where he literally mobilized the French population. That's when you start getting these total war scenarios. Cause prior to that, it's just, you know, professionals fighting and that's it. Small, small armies. And then, yeah, Napoleon, boom, this, you know, we have all these men, just assembling. So, like, this was the big fear of the Confederacy, right? Was his army under McClellan. So, you know, Jackson's campaign, like I said, was to keep them out of the valley and to keep the men tied up in the valley because, you know, they they don't want more men going off while they're trying to prepare uh, Lee's army, right? Yeah. So, that was uh, Battle of First Winchester. And then... Shortly after that, June 8th, was the Battle of Cross Keys. So Jackson's forces repelled the Union attack, uh, led by General John C. Fremont at Cross Keys. And this battle is part of the effort to keep the Union forces divided and prevent them from concentrating against him. So at this point, I guess the Union split their forces. And it's just one of the simplest principles of combat. Never split your forces. Don't don't ever do it. Just don't ever do it. Simple, but they did it. Yeah. Right? So, and this is like a important thing that like a, I keep going back to the Duke of Wellington because this is a guy that I study and that I love. Is uh, the French forces would always like divide themselves against him, and he would seek out one one group, destroy them, move on to the next one. So this yeah. is the same same tactic that Stonewall is doing here. Is you know these these forces are dividing against him. And he's got to hit them and be aggressive towards them now before they can get back together and come back against them. Yeah, yeah. The um, I remember it. I, I forget where it was, but it was like I think it was a documentary somewhere. It was talking about um, and I don't want to get off on a tangent on this, but it was talking about that when our when brother, all these brothers whole podcast is a tangent. Yeah, well, yeah. Like the idea that like Napoleon doing that was like he did something that was unconventional, right? He split his forces, yeah. right? Well, he was being unconventional because he was the way Napoleon did it, and the way he did it, like at Waterloo, even was like, oh, you know, they'll they'll never, they wouldn't risk chasing a small contingent of men, and you know mm. what I mean. And he was banking on, you know, the enemy not doing, not pursuing that small contingent of men, right? Because if they this did, is- then that then that small force would get decimated, you know. Yeah. And that's that's why Napoleon was so successful, is that he would. 
take these smaller forces and just attack ferociously, you know, and uh, these bigger armies would, would have to like fall back. They don't even know what's happening, you know, they, you know, and so that's the same kind of principles there. It's like, but once that system, that system is flawed in that if you do go to attack one of those smaller contingents, that contingent is going to get decimated. And then uh, for them to get, you know, back up, your army's split, you know, your army's separated, right? So they, they're not together. So there's going to be a lap, especially back then, there's going to be a lapse in communication. The wrong orders are going to be given to the wrong people. Probably it's the wrong officers are going to do this at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, the, like all of those kind of, those older ways of fighting that kind of would no doubt affect all of that, you know, and that that's kind of, it's like, you can see, you can see where it would be successful in, in splitting up an army being unconventional like that. But it's like even crazier when like in the rare opportunities of that tactic, not working, it's because the enemy was like, no engage. And what's the thing that you like both of us, we both played football, right? So like how important is momentum, right? We're looking at a sixth or or seventh battle. The first one at Kernstown was a strategic or I mean, it was a tactical loss, but a strategic victory. Well, prior to this one, he just won three battles in a row plus bull run before. So like do the momentum behind these men is crazy. Like that's what, that's what that's what I was saying earlier. People will follow a winner. Men want to yeah. win. It's and built in. It's built into us. We're competitive. We want to win. Okay. If this guy's leading yeah. me to victory after victory after victory, I'm gonna push myself harder and further and put my life on the line for this guy because that that's an exemplar leader. You know, he's a perfect leader. This is yeah. this is the man you want to follow in the battle. If I was in the Civil War, I would want to be under Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, and uh, again, the just to remind people of the numbers. This is he's defeated. So up to this point, this is the uh, we're talking about the Battle of Cross Keys, right? Yeah. Um, up at this point, this is uh, that's the fourth battle of I believe five that he wins in the Shenandoah Valley. That's like significant. This is the, this the last is the fifth, battle. Fifth, this is the fifth battle. There is. Oh, is six. it the fourth? Is it the fifth? Yeah, okay. This is the fifth one. Yeah. I thought the Battle of Port Republic was the last one. Um, oh yeah, he, yeah. There's regard, one more yeah, after. Yeah, one more after. yeah. The Battle of Port Republic, he, which he also wins. Oh, actually, um, no. Never mind. The uh, the occupation that doesn't really count. Never mind. Yeah. The so the the ba- after this the, ba- the after this battle of Cross Keys, there's the Battle of Port Republic, where he defeats General, Brigadier General James Shields on uh, June eighth and 9th. and the Union forces are they have to withdraw from the Shenandoah Valley altogether. They they all have to withdraw. Well, doesn't he defeat General Fremont too? Like he defeats two two. Yeah, he, he he defeated him yeah. at uh he yeah he split his men and. Part of his men went to uh, Harrisonburg, I believe it was. Because uh, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. like, <laughs> dude, this guy who defeats two separate commanders after, and that that certifies yeah. his success in the campaign. Well, yeah. You well, know? I was gonna I was gonna point out too that he during this whole time, you know, that his army's on the move. They're going, they're going, they're going. Like you're saying, momentum, momentum, momentum. They march or, or travel 646 miles in four in 48 days. Um, what's, what's, what's the math on that per day? I'm gonna do it's, kilometers. It's 13.45 miles a day. Right, how many? 48 days, so that's 20 kilometers a day. Um, and so, so a lot. I mean, it, it's it's doable. Like, there's a lot of standards like for the military where you should be able to like rock march that time. Yes, so, but 
it's it's yeah. insane and, every and, day and, yeah every day. <laughs> yeah but like the and the, well the point of also too is going to he was probably able to maneuver that quickly because his force wasn't as big yeah and so, and so that's what i wanted to point out also they're fighting uh, on home field too they're fighting yeah yeah home yeah home field advantage so like all of these guys are you know if the if there's not guys in those army units that are from that area in those units there the civilian population is helping them also, I mean, it's easier for them to get supplies <laughs> easier yeah. to get supplies if yeah you're the the Union Army is fighting, yeah. you know, an away game essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. With a it, large group yeah. of guys, they're yeah, slow they're getting, and lumbering, and Jackson is just, yeah. you know. Well, that's, that's yeah. That's what I wanted to point out is the. I think we said before the the number difference is yeah. Jackson has seventeen thousand men here. Okay, so his so his forces, that's big, right? But a that's uh, like a modern division size, right, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's very large for even Civil War. That's that's very large um but it's uh, the point is like i think he was able to maneuver because his army was actually small compared to his enemy which was this, how much did the union have the union at the time had sixty thousand men in the shenandoah valley dude and he def- he defeated he won five battles with seventeen thousand men against sixty thousand. the union again after the battle of port republic the, his fifth victory at port republic uh, the Union Army is pushed out of Shenandoah Valley. He defeated sixty thousand men with seventeen thousand, and I think it's partly due to his nature of, you know, li- like you're saying, living off the momentum. You know, they're 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 being fed off that momentum and motivated by that momentum, and you know what I mean, like just one more mile, one more mile, one more mile. You know what I mean? And then they, once they get there, they're they're tired, but they fight. You know what I mean? Once they get there, and it's. I, I think that part of that was due to him having an army of only seventeen thousand. Like I said, you know that's large, but this, you know, kind of like fat, you know, lumbering army of sixty thousand men was no, not maneuvering was, quick. They're not maneuvering yeah, quick. Not at all. They're they're with them. It literally like that's so many. It's like, like well, they're, they're taking more. defeat like, after defeat. They're a larger army. Yeah. Right. They have their supply lines with them. Yeah. Like. Do the morale for those guys? I don't know what it was like, but probably not wasn't, good. Was it wasn't a high like it was under Stonewall? You not know? good. No, yeah, not good. I mean, and then that, that's also the thing too is that they're going through the same conditions, but just the the like an army of sixty thousand. Like the camps are more crowded. It's harder to get food to everyone. You know what I mean, uh, your food may be a couple days behind. You know your water's probably not going to be that good. Like your water situation is not going to be that good. Your like just the the filth and disease and like all of the stuff that accompanies an army of sixty thousand men through through non-native territory. You know they're not from the area. They they get lost. Shit like that. You know what I mean? Like they don't know where they're going. They're going off of maps that are outdated. You know what I mean? Um. You know, they had spies, obviously, but just the fact that he was able to beat an army of 60,000 across five battles with only 17,000 men while using this tactic of this unconventional tactic of separating his, you know, of doing these like smaller attacks and like where he does find the enemy, he engages without a second thought. And, and that's, 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 what, that's what causes the, the, these routes. You know what I mean? These, and that's what eventually gets him to push the entirety of the Union Army, 60,000 men, 
out of the Shenandoah Valley. And um, it's to, point, to a point we were saying last week that that 646 miles in 48 days is uh, why his troops earned the, uh, the nickname Foot Cavalry, because uh, they were, you know, they were marching. <laughs> they were covering some ground, you know what I mean? So dude, They are hauling some mean they're hauling ass, ass across. Dude. Yeah. Dude, and like, hot. <laughs> hauling hot <laughs> wool-covered ass, dude. Yeah, dude. I, yeah, I know why, you know, <laughs> the southern troops didn't have shoes later in the war, because he burnt through them all in the Shenandoah <laughs> yeah, Valley. They walk, yeah, they, they fucking walked them off. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is where the south's God. shoes are, man. Yeah. Shoes got walked off in the Shenandoah Valley. <laughs> God, Dude, um, um, I was just gonna say. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say. Just last add to this to that point. Um, yeah. So this his victory in the Shenandoah Valley was very significant. Um, it raised his status even more um, in the Confederacy, and uh, he was the most widely kind of you know honored or respected soldier in the Confederacy by the by the general public. You know, until uh, Lee would eventually surpass him. Obviously, and um, but at this point, Granny Lee isn't doing much. As they yeah, yeah, him. he's yeah, he, he yeah, he was Lee was chilling in this, you know. Uh, Jackson was marching his ass off, fighting his ass off, and Lee was pretty much, you know, sitting there. But so so sorry, what were we gonna say? I was gonna say like this is you know the campaign had a more broader implications for the overall war effort, right? So it mm-hmm. tied up the Union forces and distracted them from supporting other Union operations at the time, yeah. which helped Lee get his army organized. It was the Army of Virginia, they called it, right? So yeah. those men were getting ready, organized, right? And I mean, Lee's an exceptional commander. We're going to have to go over some of his stuff eventually. Yeah. And also, too, like I was saying, if, if, if people want us to go over these battles more, we could do a separate episode on them, but I didn't want to get too much in the weeds on this stuff, and I want to focus yeah. more on the man himself yeah but uh you know like i said uh this showcased you know the importance of like mobile warfare rapid movements the power of a skilled and aggressive commander because like yeah. you can be default aggressive and a terrible commander but yeah. you need to, it's a skill aggression is a skill yeah it's you know it's something that he's learned studied in practice is yeah. used and you know it's effective yeah and just um just one last point that uh, just kind of pointed out was like those sixty thousand men that he that were defeated, you know, by Jackson's forces in Shenandoah Valley. That that's these men are defeated. You know, their morale is now low. You know what I mean? They're for all intents and purposes, you know, they were being told, you know, if you were an army that big, I mean, you get, you had to have thought you were going to win. You know what I mean? Especially back then, like that. That literally, that really is insane. That army was that big, but just these men now are have like lowered morale. You know, they're on the, they're on route. You know, they're retreating. You know, they're retreating out of enemy territory, and it's just that the fact that that was sixty thousand, like you were saying, the supplies were held back. These sixty thousand men held up in the Shenandoah Valley for you know so many months, and just they have nothing to show for it. And it was you know such a like you were saying such a costly you know, a loss for the union that, you know, had, had far reaching implications, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, so where do you go? What do you do after that? So after that, um, sorry, I gotta get my notes up. I got like 20 tabs open on the old computer right now. I believe 
He was part of the Peninsula campaign. Yeah, well, it said, yeah, Jackson and his troops were recalled back to the Army of Northern Virginia oh. in defense of the okay. capital. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So they, they pretty much got transported by a railroad uh, pretty much to where Lee's forces were, and they made a surprise appearance uh, in front of McClellan's army at Mechanicsville. So the or or the Beaver of uh, the Battle of Beaver Dam apparently. So this is one of those north south kind of name changes here. Yeah, they're all they all have two names. Um, um so what are you do what do you do after that? The uh, the you said he went near uh, Richmond to defend the Confederates the Confederacy's capital. Yeah. Um so part of that uh deal was so, so I guess his, his men were transported there, but his men did not participate in the battle. Apparently, there okay. was uh, so this is the seven the the seven days battles from the Peninsula campaign, which yeah. is pretty famous. So this is when yeah uh, yeah Robert E Lee is getting getting the machine in motion. You know his his victory yeah. machine because yeah after after this up until Gettysburg, I'm pretty sure General Lee is like twelve one and zero for for fights. Like this this is where it all like starts. Rip, you know, he, he wins, yeah, these seven days battles. <laughs> um, yeah, I talk uh, uh, the, the seven days battles. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the seven days battles talk about like we we're just talking about the seven day, like the uh, the Shenandoah Valley campaign that was seventeen thousand against sixty thousand. But here is kind of one of the big instances of the seven days battles. Really, uh, it really is a turning point in the scope of the war because you see just so many men at the seven days battles um to give you an idea it's the so it was uh robert e lee was in command of, and and oh so it's just setting up this the seven days battles was mcclellan was progressing towards richmond virginia and so like like you were saying uh, jackson and his troops got recalled from the shenandoah valley after having been after after having beaten back um the Union forces there, they were recalled to help uh, potentially defend Richmond, Virginia, which is the capital of the Confederacy, from uh, being attacked by the Union or besieged by the Union. And so the the Seven Days Battles was around was was around the um, around uh, Richmond, Virginia. It was it was McClellan it was McClellan's forces, the Army of the Potomac, trying to uh, get past. Lee's army in Northern Virginia, and uh, again to give you the idea of the numbers, it just, it's so many more. So uh, Lee had at the time uh, in defense of Richmond, um, ninety-two thousand men, and uh, McClellan had uh, a hundred and uh, about a hundred and fifteen thousand. Pretty close. At the time. So yeah, so it, it's pretty. It's on good even footing at the time, but just. Like that scope right there, that like that's two hundred thousand men, and like in a in one campaign, like that is significant. You know, like is it's over. Uh, you know, the whole campaign on both sides, it's over five thousand killed. You know, over twenty thousand wounded. You know, that is just insane numbers of casualties. Um, and it was all in defense of uh, the. You know, they. Uh, you know, eventually, uh, Lee would. Uh, eventually, Lee's forces uh, defeated McClellan's, and I believe this was part of 
uh, McClellan's inability to 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 take advantage of his position. I think this is what led to McClellan's dismissal um, as the head of the Army of Potomac, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, wasn't he not aggressive enough? And he was very yeah. He was too tr- yeah. He was too you know trepidatious about uh, wanting to attack. Uh, and I, I mean, you could ar- you could even argue that maybe maybe some of the say maybe some of the Shenandoah Valley campaign was kind of in his mind. Yeah, looming. <laughs> you know, I mean, the- yeah, loom- looming of uh, oh, if I overcommit, this smaller force will destroy me. You know that. Yeah. So he he had to have been thinking of that because you know obviously back then all that stuff had to be in the news. So, uh, well, especially just, newspapers. You know how famous Stonewall became. Like it's all over the news, North and South. Yeah. So this is yeah. you know yeah, and um, psychological warfare getting to his head. I mean. Yeah, this, even yeah, the even, guy even was like if, a big, you know, he was all about ego and kind of yeah, he living off, living living off of, living more off of the myth of himself than his actual deeds. Yeah, little, little Napoleon or whatever they call them. Well, he yeah, wasn't, wasn't anywhere close to Napoleon. Um, yeah. So there was the the Battle of Oak Grove was during the Seven Days Battles. It was it was just hellish kind of a you know kind of attack towards like them trying to get in and, and get through Lincoln's forces and smash through Lincoln's line so that they could get at Richmond. And the only significant, uh, tactical offensive move that McClellan made during this entire, uh, course of events was, uh, at the battle of Oak Grove, uh, where his, uh, attack gained only, a thousand yards, but it was at the cost of a thousand men on both sides. So it, that's, that's, that's like World War One kind of stuff, where you fight three yards, a thousand yeah. men. Um, and then, uh, you know, Lee, you know, Lee kind of had this. You know, if you if you leave Lee long enough, he'll attack, and that that's what happened. Is McClellan was too conservative and kind of did these like little. You know, a little like prodding attacks, you know, but never sent like a full on deal, you know, never sent a full on advance, you know, and if he had done that, he might have succeeded, but, you know, all, he, McClellan just stayed, you know what I mean? But then you have the, this giant army of Northern Virginia. Many of these men are Virginians, <laughs> you know, this is their home state. This is the capital of their state. The this whole, new kind of home this, game, man. This it's, is it's, the, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, you think what about, are you gonna, like, frost yeah, men fighting if there's, for their there's own nothing, home. yeah, there's nothing stopping the union. If think through the like the mentality of this, there's nothing stopping the union men. There's nothing stopping union soldiers from raiding and burning down, you know, villages, property, destroying property, stealing. You know, what I'm saying like it just, and not to say like both sides didn't do that, but like that's what's going through these these men these guys minds you know these these men are virginians you know what i'm saying this is their state cap their state capital is behind them that you know some of them can yeah. see it off in the distance you know what i'm saying they can see the you know the you know as little you know as little the you know i don't want to say skyline but the little silhouette of richmond is off in the background you know they know it's there they can yeah. see it you know what i mean and you know they hear trains from it and you know what i mean so they they have in their mind this is this is the cap. I'm a Virginian. This is the capital of Virginia. This is my home state. This is my mother country. This is the heart. This is the capital of the Confederacy. I, I can't, we cannot waver. You know what I mean? So, so they're going through this and, and McClellan is just playing around like poking the bear. 
You know what I mean? He's not really committing too many men to an attack, and he's just sitting there waiting. You know, and for like nothing, he's just sitting there. Um, but that gives Lee. You know, if again, like I was saying, if you leave Lee long enough, Lee's gonna maneuver, and he's he's very good tactically. You know, what I'm saying Lee was one of the men that was good tactically and strategically. So, if you give Lee the opportunity, he's going to. If you give him the room to maneuver and get in position, he's going to do that. And that's, that's what Lee did. You know, he, you know, you didn't it's, you think of it like a boxer, you know what I mean? A, a boxer that doesn't take, that doesn't attack his opponent. You know what I mean, well, the other guy is going to get ready and he's going to, he's going to really get his hand, get his fist back and he's going to swing away. You know what I mean? And that's what Lee did. You know, McClellan was just staring, you know, prodding the bear, or poking the bear and Lee, maneuvered got into position and ordered an offensive that you know pushed mcclellan back to you know defeated mcclellan and and won this but it's just the the level of the scale of the conflict with with this battle is very much a turning point in the civil war and and just i just wanted to like emphasize that and the fact that you know Stonewall Jackson's greater you know place in this battle was that, without a doubt, his victories in the Shenandoah Valley were 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 in the minds of uh, was in the mind of McClellan. You know what I mean? It, like he he knew that Jackson's force had been called from the Shenandoah Valley, so he knew that he knows oh a competent a competent commander is coming. You know what I mean? Uh. And he, uh, he warfare happens and it yes, to a strike. Yeah, and he un, yeah, and he underestimates he's he's scared to attack because he's scared that Stonewall Jackson maybe is gonna maneuver around and get him, but while he's like focused on like, oh, what is Stonewall Jackson gonna do? Lee <laughs> maneuvers around and just gives him an uppercut <laughs> and he he loses. You know, and that and that, again, like I'm saying, that's what that's well, they, that, they eventually that's, get encircled, right? So I'm I'm looking at some yeah. maps right now of the battle of seven days and like by uh was it glendale and o- uh, white oak swamp uh lee has uh pretty much mcclellan surrounded sh- no, he has him in yeah. shape of an l yeah. with the south on water and the northern point as the top uh, the bottom of the l and jackson is pushing the rest of the rest of the the division commanders ap hill longstreet holmes these guys are pushing the main line well he's got jackson swinging around up north you know, yeah. coming around yeah. down south. He's he's his maneuver element, you know. Whenever you think of military tactics, you know, it's cover and move. You know, you always want to get wide on the enemy and come down on you know, clo- close the door, right? Almost like a hinge, right? Yeah. So Jackson is that maneuver element that's closing in on them. Yeah. And, and then he, as, as it progresses, where they get pushed down more into was it Maverin Hill or whatever? Do you yeah. think Jackson's men are maneuvering around them and this is what pushes these guys into this little pocket. Yeah, and it's the one of the worst situations that an army could be in. They are, uh, you know, by by the Battle of Malvern Hill, they are backed up to, I believe it's a it's one of the tributaries of the James River, um, or it might be the James River itself. They're 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 nearly yeah they're nearly backed up to. They're pushed away from Richmond. River thing too is they're pushed away from Richmond. Yeah, they're they've 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 been pushed back off of. Uh, Richmond, they're they're no longer a threat to Richmond whatsoever, and they're up with their back against a body of water, which is like one of the worst positions an army can find itself in, especially if it doesn't have 
um, you know, assistance. But, the, you know, luckily for McClellan, they did. Uh, they, they actually... Um, uh, so they didn't want to stay. Obviously, they didn't want to stay where they where they were at, but um, they were per- being protected by uh, the Union had gunboats on the James River, and that's where uh, another like shining area of the the Union Army is that they always or the Union Navy, I guess they they always had uh, really good naval support. So yeah. during this battle, the once they got them backed up onto Malvern Hill. Uh, it was very uh, kind of this like untenable situation for both sides because McClellan's forces could not stay, but Lee's forces couldn't necessarily attack because they had, like I said, gunboats, uh, the Union gunboats on the James River that were backing up their own infantry. Um, but it, you know, it was going on a week. It's seven, you know, seven days. So there's a week of this fighting, a week of getting pushed back on, on the part of the, the army of the Potomac and under the men and uh, McClellan's forces. Um, but McClellan, uh, McClellan wrote uh, while he's backed up says that, you know, he, he, he's, you know, feeding, you know, messages back to the war department in Washington. And he's saying he's facing up to upwards of 200,000 Confederates and, he, you know, despite having a hundred thousand men, needs major reinforcements. When in fact, he's actually, he's actually outnumbering Lee's forces. But he's, you know, reporting back to Washington, or Washington that that he's actually outnumbered. But, um, it's just it's just insane. The, the, this entire like series of events, the Seven Days Battles, insane. Um, kind of. Maybe wanted to finish up talking about Jackson's participation in the Seven Days Battles. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, pretty much he was like the the hinge closing, you know, the door of uh, yeah. the position, right? Until they got them kind of cornered up against the water, and then after that, it was yeah. So uh, so they got a they they got away by boats, didn't they? Or like how how does this end for the well? Union? So well, so Jackson. Uh, like Lee finally ordered the, uh, you know, the f- front, you know, Lee is, you know, you know, very famous for the, you know, charge, you know what I mean? The, uh, oh, frontal yeah. assault type deal. Um, so Lee, uh, Jackson's forces participated in the, uh, the, uh, entrenched, uh, union, the assault on the entrenched union forces on Malvern Hill and, uh, suffered heavy casualties because of this. And uh, he he was kind of off his game during this, and they they, they think it was to uh, lack of sleep because he had, uh, you know, like I say, he just came from the Shenandoah Valley, so uh, he they and they were on the move there. You know, what I mean, they were moving, yeah. moving, 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 and then they get the order to, okay, uh, go to Richmond now. And so he's the it's it's believed that he was wasn't probably thinking right and that he was suffering from a severe lack of sleep because I mean, of sleep deprivation oh, really messes with your mind. You know? Yeah. Um, so him and his men are just exhausted and then they're, they're unable to, they're unable to uh, gain any ground in this attack at Malvern Hill. All right. Uh, going back to the question I asked you earlier about 
what happened to the troops after. So McClellan's men pulled back to the James River and under the cover of the gunboats, they felt a little bit safe. And Lee's army took a, you know, a bit of a beating and they had less men. These are ill affordable casualties, right? When you think about like the North has such a manpower to draw from, the South doesn't. So they kind of yeah. they kind of take it easy and pull back to the safety of Richmond. And McClellan kind of scampers away with his tail tucked between his legs. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the end of the seven days battles. And I mean, like I said, dude, these guys are maneuvering, you know, you know, assaulting positions. Like these guys are burnt. Like yeah, Lee was like, all right, we got to get the guys back to Richmond and rest them. Because, like, you know, that's a that's really important thing. It's like, you know, you want to push your men to their absolute limits, but at the same time, you need to understand when your people need a rest. And you don't want to go too far because it's actually, like, you know, hazardous to your army, morale, and physically to these guys if you keep pushing them. So I don't I think it makes sense, you know, not to, you know, put the final nail in the coffin, you know, almost like a Dunkirk situation. You know, you kind of hold off instead of finishing them off because you got to recuperate and take care yeah. of them, guys. Yeah. And um, after this, uh, despite uh, his men not being able to uh, really take the ground, but you know, for their for the effort, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, despite this, kind of, it, it was a southern victory, but it wasn't a decisive victory in that they were able well, to. They're waiting for everyone's waiting for a decisive victory. Yeah, this is, this is more of a grind. Yeah, it just doesn't come. So. After this, uh, Lee reorganizes the Army of Northern Virginia into two corps, and uh, he uh, has James Longstreet as one of the corps commanders, and Stonewall Jackson is made the other the other uh, corps commander of uh, the Army of Northern Virginia. Yeah. And uh, it's a couple of the generals that uh, we discussed before, like uh, John Magruder and uh, Benjamin Huger, uh, they were actually... Uh, removed from their position because of their poor performance during those battles. So like, even though it was a Confederate victory, it wasn't as good a victory as uh, Lee would have hoped for, or the South would have hoped for. So that goes back to the thing where Stonewall court-martialed the guy. It's like, he wants nothing but the best. He has a standard. Yeah. And if these guys can't uphold the standard to what he wants, you're yeah. out. Well, that's you... the thing too, is like, you look at uh, American military history, prior to Afghanistan and Iraq, America has a history of firing generals. Someone's not performing, you yeah. fire them. Yeah. Straight up. Straight up. And it, yeah. And if you I, I think, you know, to you know, him to Jackson being kind of promoted as the commander of the of this corps, I think it goes to show like you know, it not not being a decisive victory, how much how hard his men did fight despite being exhausted you know because yeah. you know they had just they just like i said they just got transported from the shenandoah valley down to richmond and they're sleep deprived they're exhausted hungry you know what i mean the morale's up but you know morale is not going to do anything if you're if you're tired you know yeah. morale's not going to do shit if you're if you can't fight physically but to that point as tired as they were uh, Malvern Hills called that because it's literally a hill. <laughs> this entire entrenched Union army was on this hill. Um, it was you know fifty thousand versus fifty four thousand versus fifty five thousand at this point, um, and they're heavily entrenched. Uh, the Union has like uh, like three dozen artillery batteries at this point, and almost 200 in reserve uh, 
or no, it, no it's, I'm sorry. It's there. It's 33 batteries, which you know, batteries like three to four guns each. <laughs> so it's like uh, the, the Union has 171 artillery guns. You know, uh, that's insane. So, so 171 artillery cannons uh, during the Battle of Malvern Hill. Um, the South has got you know half as many, but they're on the offensive. The artillery's not going to do too too much when you're on the on, on the offensive, especially back then, because uh, you don't want to hit your own men, that kind of thing. But yeah. I think his being promoted despite uh, actually the Union victory in that Battle of Malvern Hill toward the end of the Seven Days Battles, his men, as tired as they were, uh, still attempted to charge up that hill. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, they weren't successful, but that just goes to show the, I guess, respect uh, that Lee had for um, Jackson and and his men, and that that's ultimately why I think that Lee decided to promote him to uh, to being a corps commander, uh, despite you know not being able to pull off that win. But they had a very good professional uh, relationship together, and. Uh, Lee trusted Jackson, you know, to yeah. you know uh, follow his orders at his own discretion, and he understood yeah. how the way Jackson worked. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those important things where, like, if you're talking about leadership, you know, you lead, you know, up and down the chain of command, right? Yeah. So absolutely, Jackson's abilities, you know, are proving to Lee that you know he. He knows what he's doing, so you know Lee is essentially letting him lead up the chain of command. He he trusts him, he understands him, you know he has the commander's intent, so he's off doing his thing, and he, and he knows that he's gonna do you know what he can, and then eventually, whenever, um, you know Jackson does uh, die, you know because of some wounds he sustained and pneumonia, um, Lee promotes someone else to be a corps commander and he adds a third corps and that messes with his whole command structure and his ability to trust the leaders that yeah. he has under his command and it's one of the reasons the downfall of like his, his abilities is yeah. he doesn't have a solid guy like Jackson that he trusts and they have a nice working relationship Yeah. so it's a, it's a really important thing you know you keep that yeah. in mind so uh, so moving forward um, I think we got uh, you wanted to highlight his participation in second bull run Yes. So, so this this plays back to uh, his strengths, right? So, the second Battle of Bull Run, or Second Manassas, right? It took place uh, in August of 1862, right? Yep. And you know, uh, essentially during during the battle, his his Jackson's forces were instrumental in achieving the Confederate victory. So, you know, yeah. Lee's plan for the battle was like strategic flanking movements that were aiming to cut off the Union forces that were under Pope at this point. Richard McClellan got fired, right? Was that yeah. After this? Yeah. Okay, right. And the funny thing is, did McClellan make like a run for president after against Lincoln? <laughs> so like he's he's like a schemer. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so the the whole point was to cut off the supply lines and force them to retreat. Right. This is Lee at this point understanding the strategic value right this is strategic flank it wasn't a tactical flank strategic right you gotta keep the difference of those two things right so you know jackson's role was execute the maneuver and strike the unit forces from an unexpected division or direction so this is this is playing into jackson's strengths right fire and maneuver march your men hard you know disrupt the supply lines like this this is classic jackson yeah especially 
the leadership and the and like the grand vision of Lee. Like this is this is this is a great dynamic that's yeah. going on right now. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, like, it's, a, it's like uh, it goes back to that classic, you know, Robert e. Lee strategy. You see him do it uh, multiple times throughout the war. It's the it's he's got his army in two wings, like you said, and once he has that third wing, he kind of. It's not really. It, it kind of conflicts with his strategy because yeah, his, exactly, yeah. his strategy is he he does his army in the left wing and a right wing, and one of the wings uh, in this case in, in Second Bull Run it's it's uh, Longstreet. Uh, it, it's kind of funny the uh, the the contrast between uh, Long, James Longstreet and uh, Stonewall Jackson is uh, James Longstreet was uh advocated for uh or, or like defensive tactics and you know staying stationary and you know what i mean just kind of sitting back and waiting some more conservative and jackson like you like you pointed out is attack 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 right so lee knows this about his two core commanders so what he does is he has lee's uh or i'm sorry what he does is he has lee uh, longstreet's uh right longstreet is the right wing of of lee's uh army of the army of northern virginia so uh, he has Longstreet stay stationary, and Jackson is the like you were saying before the the swinging door. You know, what I mean, uh, you know they uh like the it's maneuver uh, element. Yeah, like yeah. So, door, so yeah. yeah, like the like the the uh, the main the was it the nineteenth main or eighteenth main at uh, Gettysburg do the same kind of thing. They have a swinging door. Yeah, but yeah. Lee, Lee does this with an entire army as as core, yeah, core, yeah. yeah. So so it, this entire core of his army, this entire half of his army, uh, swings out. Uh, Jackson Jackson's corps, it's the left wing of his army, while uh, Longstreet's army is stationary, and the Union army is focused on them. Uh, well, that's long, the important uh, thing is like one of the principles of combat is cover and move, right? Yeah, so yeah. Longstreet is covering while Jackson's doing the maneuvering, right? Yeah. So Jackson's forces begin to like rapidly march, which is like his thing, you know. Put mm-hmm. him on the move, get his men marching. So they start yeah. marching northwest, you know, in position for the flanking maneuver. You know, over the next couple of days, his troops cover a significant amount of ground, which is his strength, right? And then on the twenty eighth, they attack the Union forces under Major General John Reynolds near uh, the Manassas Gap Railroad, right? So during the battle, his forces attack the Union uh, left flank and the rear. So they've gotten completely around like the Union. So they're attacking the left yeah. and the rear. And, you know, this took him by surprise. And typical Jackson, default aggressive. So this is a fierce attack. His men overwhelmed the Union lines with a little bit of stubborn resistance, but they're eventually driven away, you know. And the, the success in this attack was a strategic thing, you know, for the push of the Union forces back and creating confusion. Right, the Union line began to collapse, and Pope's army was forced to retreat, you know, towards Centerville. Yeah. So, like, you yeah. know, it's it's crazy, you know. You just unleash this man, and he does this thing, and this yeah, is and why this... he's like a, he's he's a you know tactical brilliance. You know, he's a brilliant dude. You know, his ability to execute rapid and decisive maneuvers are you know the reasons why they won the Second Battle Bull Run. And you know, without his flanking attack and his surprise attack, you know. He, the battle would have wouldn't have been the same, and this just showcase you know showcases a skill as a commander, the aggressive the aggressive thing, default aggressive. Yeah, and um, so after that, I believe is Antietam, right? Sharpsburg. Uh, is it? 
I think it's Antietam. Well, well, Lee decides to invade the north after, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one little one little detail. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee decides to invade the north, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. I, yeah, I believe yeah. it's... Antietam. Yeah, Antietam. It is, this is the one tie, right, for, for Lee? So he's won all of his battles. It wasn't Antietam the tie. I believe no side actually. Won. What was it? It was Union victory, but was it? Um, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It was so at Antietam though. It was a. It was a for Lee. It was a. Or I'm sorry, not for Lee. Um. Again, McClellan. Does no, not no. again. It McClellan. It was um, Hope, or wasn't it? No, no, no. Uh, Pope was the. Oh, Pope. That's what it was. Pope. Yeah. No, commander was uh, Pope was the commander of the Army of Virginia, the Union Army of Virginia. Uh, okay. uh, Pope. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, McClellan had uh, retreated. You know, and oh, so reorder, he didn't get fired reorganized. Yet. Okay. No, he yeah, doesn't get fired yet. So, but th- this is what kind of gets Lincoln on the point of you know McClellan. If you don't, you know. Get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so again, but it, again, McClellan, you know, fails to attack. You know, I mean, he he just sits there, and uh, they, uh, uh, Jackson's men, um, they bore the brunt of the of the Union attack. But oh, and, yeah. and it was a very yeah. it was a it was a it was a very very costly for the South, but. Yeah, the, yeah, the Confederacy so, holds their position, and McClellan just refuses to go further. Is is where he messes up again. Is once they once they get that small little victory, is that uh, Jackson gets uh, he gets reinforced by A. P. Hill yeah. from Harper's Ferry, and McClellan's forces are like, oh no, they got reinforcements. We need to like instead of just attacking, instead of just going more, McClellan's like, oh no, we need to like step back and assess the situation, and this. Despite them winning, they 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 messed up. You know, McClellan messed up in doing that, and it's like you have so much momentum, but you stop. You know, and that is becomes a, a hallmark of McClellan's command style and his his legacy is you know. Yeah. So crazy. So Stonewall gets himself set up in a good defensive position. The Unions keep assaulting. They keep assaulting, and yeah, like you said, you know. Uh, during the battle, there's a gap in the line, and Jackson, you know, re- recognizes, you know, the danger, and he rushes reinforcements into the yeah. crack in the line, and you know, the Confederate counterattacks manage to push Union forces back and regain the line. You know, so Jackson performed pretty well in this battle. Uh, yeah, actually, um, this was Antietam, so that's Antietam, se- yeah. September, September, yeah, so. September, in October, uh, he actually gets promoted to uh, lieutenant general, oh, okay, and okay, that yeah. puts him just behind Lee and Longstreet. And his corps um, is officially designated as the Second Corps. Second Corps, um, okay, yeah. So, and then uh, this is going into Fredericksburg now. So, if you want to fill us in on Fredericksburg, if you have any of that information, or I can. You can go ahead. So, okay, so uh, Jackson, that, that you know, he just got he got promoted lieutenant general, and uh, Jackson's uh, he got promoted to lieutenant general, like I said, and he's his redesignated second corps 
Um, the armies, you know, back then they, you know, camped, <laughs> camped for winter, no fighting during the winter. Um, but then boom, spring comes around and the battle of Fredericksburg and, uh, the, I'm sorry, battle of Fredericksburg. So that's, uh, Ambrose Burnside. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah. McClellan got dismissed after that. Uh, okay, that was, disastrous you know i mean um mcclellan got dismissed after that ambrose burnside is made the leader of the army of the he's made the commanding officer of the leader of the army jesus christ he's made the commanding officer of the army of the potomac um and here it's uh battle of fredericksburg it's seventy-eight thousand on the confederate side under lee and a hundred and uh 120,000 on the side of the uh, Union, the uh, under Burnside. And again, that's one of the, it's one of those crazy situations where it's, it's, it's coming right off this, um, you know, Burnside has just been promoted for, uh, you know, after McClellan in action, right? McClellan was in, you know, was indecisive, careful, conservative, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So Burnside gets promoted. Burnside is, is immediately like, I'm not going to do what McClellan did. Yeah, do, do the opposite. I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to attack. The fir- so the first thing he do he does right out of winter, right you know right into spring. Um actually it's actually not spring. In December, December 11th, yeah. December 11th, um yeah. uh Burnside's forces attack uh Fredericksburg in and around Spotsylvania County and, and Fredericksburg, uh, Virginia. They attack the city um in you know in and around. So just and this is kind of unprecedented, but Lee's forces, you know, it's the winter. They're they're encamped, you know, yeah, they're winter quarters. Yeah, yeah. So, but that being said, they are still heavily encamped. So, so from from what I from what I'm getting with here is uh, at this point, Jackson's corps was positioned on the southern end of the Confederate line along a ridge called Prospect Hill, and the ridge pretty much provided a strong defensive position that overlooked the town and the open fields where the Union forces would advance. So this is like the perfect defensive position, right? You got the high ground, you got the open field. Yeah. So, you know, during the battle, the Union forces made a series of assaults against Confederate positions, you know, particularly Jackson's yeah. or on Prospect Hill, because, you know, you want the high ground. It's a yeah. key train feature, uh, you know, to, you know, take the high ground, or the high ground will take you. That's another principle of combat, right? Yeah. So Jackson's men held, you know, that that hill, and they inflicted heavy casualties on the Union attackers. And yeah. This is just, you know, like I said, you know, take the high ground, the high ground will take you. Well, Jackson played to the strengths of that, and you know, his defense is really effective. His troops, like I said, pushed back several attempts. <laughs> you know, the Union suffered a lot of uh, casualties without any gains, and you know just looking at jackson's kind of point in the battle you know this you know resulted in a resounding confederate victory despite the union's efforts i mean i gotta give them you gotta give them you know kudos man that's pretty ballsy in winter yeah attacking a defensive position the uh the was i just wanted to point out the way they (laughs) the way they attacked so uh the way if you look at uh fredericksburg on a map it's a, it's again along the Rappahannock River. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, if you look at a map, so what the Union was doing even in winter is like uh, Burnside 
uh, was he was going to have his men cross the Rappahannock River in pontoon bridges. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. They, this. this delay, right? So from the, t- from the town, from Fredericksburg, Lee is able to witness and his scouts are able to determine that, oh, we know where they're going. We know what they're doing. <laughs> we know what they are, you know, planned. We know, we know that they're maneuvering. We know, we know that they're maneuvering to get into a position to cross the river and the pontoon bridges are delayed uh, for Burnside. And by this time, Lee's army has shifted to that side of Fredericksburg facing uh, that side. And that, that's where uh, Jackson's men are is, is in that initial, they're the first line for Fredericksburg is, is Jackson's men. So the union army does actually, they get the pontoon bridges put together. Um, they're able to build these bridges across and, you know, it's, it, it was a, you know, it was like a, there was like a beach, like a beach and then the city. Right. But yeah. the, the Confederacy, the Confederate forces are heavily entrenched in the city. Right. So they batten down all the hatches in the city. You know what I mean? They built like barricades and, and defensive positions, trenches, that kind of thing, right? So the Union gets those pontoon bridges across the river. But as soon as they start marching across in droves, these thick, like filed lines, they're under direct fire the entire time they're crossing. And then once they get into the city, it's like urban combat, you know, like it's, but it's in a city that the Confederates have been camped out in all winter. Yeah. So, is this the one where Jackson's men or some of the men were actually along like a stone wall firing down at them? Like they have like total fire superiority. These guys are just advancing into hell. The, that might've been Antietam. Was that Antietam? Yeah, I'm okay. not too sure. Um, I'm not too sure about that, but so, it was just so crazy because, like, so despite Burnside's best efforts, it was just such a costly victory. And again, I, I wanted to go over the numbers again. So it's it's uh, seventy two thousand were engaged on the on the Confederate side, one hundred and fourteen thousand were engaged on the Union side. So literally, it's twice as many, right? Yeah. So they're at, so least forces are at number two to one. Um. And but Lee's forces are in a defensive position. They're in the city, right? So yeah. uh, the casualties are such a disparity, and and you see that with the defensive, with the full on br- with the frontal assault on the defensive positions. Um, because despite Burnside's best efforts in trying to do a and trying to set a good example of being like, I'm not going to be like McClellan. I'm going to attack, and he does attack, but it's a costly attack. And in this in this one over it's a uh, five days. I think it is. It's five days. The battle of Fredericksburg over okay. five days. Uh, Burnside's army of the Potomac suffers uh, over 12,000 casualties. Um, so it's, it's uh, about 1200 men killed 9,000 wounded and uh, like 1500 captured or missing um, t- compared to Lee's uh, 5,000 casualties. That's 600 killed. 4,000 wounded and about 600 captured or missing. So like, despite, you know, like 
Burnside's best efforts in trying to, you know, turn over a new leaf and do everything in his power to say, I'm not going to be like McClellan. You know, I will not sit back and wait. I will, I will act. I will attack. Um, this is the first thing that happens when he becomes a uh, commander of the army of the Potomac and Stonewall Jackson's forces. Um, uh, during this defensive, uh, in during their defense in Fredericksburg, um, the uh, uh, the portion of the Union Army that's attacking Stonewall Jackson is it's uh, led by Major General William B. Franklin. Uh, they actually at one point do pierce uh, Jackson's forces to the south of Fredericksburg, uh, but Jackson's men, you know, still kind of you know unwavering. Uh, they do get pierced, but then they they're able to close that gap. They're able to close it up and uh, push uh, Franklin's men back, and they're able to actually repulse. Um, the you know the left wing of of Burnside's army. Um, so that was that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that that goes to show that just another example of Jackson's you know steadfastness and you know I could just imagine him commanding the defensive of this position and you know urging his men on to you know not give in and the, you know that kind of thing. It's it goes to show. Um, that he, uh, unlike Burnside, uh, you could say Jackson made good on his promotion and and did good after he was promoted. Um, as for Burnside, just kind of, um, unfortunately for him, uh, didn't wasn't able to perform adequately. Um, so where are we at now? So the next battle after this, so I gotta look at my notes here. Chancellorsville, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is Chancellorsville. So, so, so this this is with uh, the Army of Potomac's new commander, Major General Joseph Hooker. Yeah. Yep. So you wanna wanna lead us into that one? Uh, yeah. So, so after uh, after the Battle of Fredericksburg. The Union Army is able to they you know they have to retreat out of Fredericksburg and they retreat out of the area of Fredericksburg and, and this is in this is in the May of uh, this a- April of 1863 and um, uh, it was described as a uh, uh, Robert E Lee's perfect battle um, oh yeah because his 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 uh, his kind of it was kind of risky. Um, in that he did the he did the no no that we talked about <laughs> he divi- he divided his army um, but it worked out t- tremendous for him but he he divided his army uh, against a bigger enemy force um, but nonetheless it resulted in a huge um, victory for him um, and again I, I like to emphasize the numbers it was. Uh, Lee had about sixty thousand men in the Army of Northern Virginia at this point, and uh, uh, Hooker, leading the Army of the Potomac, had um, just ever-growing amount of men of uh, one hundred and thirty-three thousand at that point. So it's just so again, literally, Lee is facing another again outnumbered two to one, um, and again, again, I think this is the second or third time Lee's able to actually pull it off, where he's outnumbered significantly. And that's a common uh, theme for the Confederacy. 
at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, especially at this point. Um, and it, it'll be like this until about until about Gettysburg, and uh, the Union's able to stall uh, Lee once and for all, and really push back down into the South. But um, so the so in this battle, um, again, taking uh, his men on the flanking maneuver, right? Well, and I was I was gonna speak more to, um, so Hooker is, uh, you know, I th- I think maybe uh, Lincoln maybe maybe a little bit too too quickly dismissed, um, damn, who was it? <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> No, oh, no, 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 not my, no, it was, damn, jeez, oh, who was it? We were just saying his name last time. Oh, Burnside, Ambrose, Ambrose Burnside. Uh, yeah. um, so I think Lee, I, I'm sorry, I think Lincoln too quickly um, fired him, fired Ambrose Burnside because the man he appointed in afterwards, Joseph Hooker, was essentially another McClellan. Uh, he was timid. Uh, he was conservative he was careful and you know to this um hooker moved uh, a lot of his army up the rappahannock river and it actually crossed um and uh, a, a union cavalry general um, george stoneman started to attack Lee's supply lines uh, just at that same time. So Lee is kind of alerted to these attacks and he turns his attention towards um, this area. Uh, And so what Hooker did was he was going to have his men cross above uh, Lee and then he was going to have his men cross below and then surround them. But Lee, like I said, he separates his forces and one corps goes one way, the other corps goes the other way. And is able to actually hold back uh, both wings of Hooker's army, which is likewise trying to attack from two angles. And um, it's the second, you know, considered the second bloodiest um, day of the Civil War. Um, was May third. Um, Lee launched multiple attacks against the forces in Chancellorsville, and the casualties were just staggering. Um, trying to see. So the third day it was in Chancellorsville proper. So it's seventy-six thousand Union men against forty-three thousand Confederate men, and the just like I said. So they're they're able to hold off both of these, you know, f- these flanking maneuvers at Chancellorsville, and. uh I believe it's at Chancellorsville where I'm trying to figure out what day it is in the, in the battle itself, but Oh yeah. Yeah. I have Jackson, all that stuff. Jackson gets, over it. yeah. Yeah. Jackson gets wounded. So can you, could you, could you take over from there and kind of give us a little bit yes. of information on like so, what so like, happened? Yes. Yeah, so like I was saying before, um, you know, Jackson's forces went on a daring flanking maneuver against the, the union army and this maneuver became, you know, Jackson's famous flank attack with, uh, you know, significant Confederate um, success. So on May 2nd, while returning from reconnaissance mission, Jackson was actually shot by, accidentally shot by his own men who mistook him and his staff for Union Cavalry. Yeah. 
So, um, unfortunately, you know, Jackson was seriously wounded with an injury to his left arm and his lung. And his arm was amputated. And he actually showed some um, initial signs of recovery. However, he developed pneumonia and other complications. Like I said, he had a wound uh, in his lung, too, so that didn't help. And he ultimately uh, died on May 10th, 1863, at the age of 39. So, I mean... I'm pretty sure there's a whole thing where they buried his arm separately from him. Yeah, uh, I believe yeah. I heard that too. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's an actual uh, grave marker that says, you know, Stonewall Jackson's uh, left arm. And essentially, like I said, he died at the age of 39. This man was achieving these decisive victories with this, like, excellent, you know, tactical and strategic mind at the age of 39. If you look at the average age of a general what, in World War II, it's like, what, 50, 60? You know, he's a pretty yeah. young guy. He's a pretty young yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you have what the uh, what the doctor wrote when he was at Jackson's side when he passed? Did you have that no, written down? Did you have that? Yeah, I got it in front of me. Um, so this is what uh, doctor a uh, doctor McGuire wrote um, when he was uh, with Jackson. Um, so he Jackson actually died from complications from pneumonia. Yeah, I said, Um, but it was also like eight days after he was shot. So I'm thinking maybe he never just recovered from that. Um, Pretty big shock to your body at that point. Yeah. Right. Yes. There's no modern anesthesiology. Yeah. Like there literally is a dude with a saw sawing your arm. Like your body's got to go into shock. Yeah. And it it has terrible ramifications from that. So this Dr. McGuire um, wrote about uh, Jackson's you know, last moments. So, um, so this is, a, this is, you know, a, this is a quote from, uh, Dr. McGuire's like a letter or a diary that he had. So it says a few moments before he, he died, he cried out in his delirium, order AP Hill to prepare for action, pass the infantry to the front rapidly, tell major Hawks then stopped leaving the sentence unfinished. Presently, a smile of ineffable sweetness spreads itself over his pale face and he said quietly and with an expression as if of, of relief, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. And then he passed away. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, upon hearing about his death, Robert E. Lee, like, really mourned the loss of his friend and yeah. his trusted commander. Yeah. And, you know, he sent a message to a chaplain to say, you know, give Jackson my affection and regards. Say to him, he has lost his left arm, but I, my right. And, you know, the night he died, he told um, his cook, uh, William, I have lost my right arm. I'm bleeding at the heart. Yeah. Like I I said, these dudes. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it hits deep, man. Like. Think about like the professional relationship they had with each other, the trust, you know. Yeah. Just the thing about warfare is it bonds men like ways that we can't understand. You know, like the connection these dudes had, professional, personal, like this was it, man. It was it was his go-to guy, and he just died on him. You know. Yeah. Unfortunately, by friendly fire, and that's a terrible thing. And I mean, this just shows, you know, the dichotomy of war is, you know. You're on the top, yeah. and then you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah. Do we have? Do we Besides want to talk that, about, 
I just, uh, what else did you have? I mean, I just, you know, just a little bit of a conclusion about, you know, uh, it's a significant loss to the Confederacy. You know, he's considered one of the most skilled and respected Confederate generals. And, you know, his death uh, was a big impact on the course of the war. And I'm pretty sure he's the only general that had, like, coinage uh, struck in the Confederacy after him. Like, his legacy oh, continued wow. on. Like, yeah. as the act of war is going on, he has stuff named after him. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. And um, the... So... Okay, so sorry. I was reading the uh, our little ending notes here. Um, so th- as as we were saying, we were pointing out earlier after Jackson's death, you know, Lee had his army in two in two corps, the first corps and second corps. After Jackson's death, uh, Lee divides his army into three corps, and yep. in in effect, like you were saying, he 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 effectively you know, loses confidence in his own forces and he's unable to put the trust in the men who step up after Jackson's death. He He's unable to trust in them the way he trusted in Jackson. And, you know, obviously we know that, uh, you know, Lee had just invaded the North and losing such a, you know, such a professional confidant and, um, uh, just losing such a valuable officer who was you know looked upon by his men who had this kind of mythical legacy um is kind of you know maybe maybe lowered lee's morale maybe may, maybe made lee a little bit more cautious about what he could and could not expect of the men under his command now and uh you know i think it it's goes a lot to to say like you were saying how lee was you know personally affected and taken aback by the loss of Jackson and, and really how it kind of shows that he could no longer entrust his army to, to only two men, you know, Longstreet and Jackson because Jackson wasn't there. So it's almost kind of, it's almost like Jackson had to be replaced with two men, you know, and, and these two men that uh, he chose, that, that Lee chose were not necessarily men he could trust as much as he did uh jackson so that that's really interesting point there but the, the last remarks that i want to make is kind of some reflections uh from some historians about jackson and uh stephen sears states that jackson was fanatical in his presbyterian faith and it energized his military thought and character theology was the only subject he generally enjoyed discussing and his dispatches invariably credited an ever kind of providence you know, and uh, James Robert Jr. suggests that, you know, he was a Christian soldier through and through in every sense of the word. Uh, he thought of war as a religious crusade, and he viewed himself as an Old Testament warrior like David or Joshua who went into battle to slay the Philistines. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got to say, you know. Um, yeah. I want to thank everyone for hanging in for this two-parter and listening yeah. to uh, us uh, ramble on about you know a subject that really interests us. Yeah. And uh, we really look forward to making uh, some more episodes. And you know, down the line, our next episode is hopefully going to be on the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, a pivotal moment in Canadian history or the foundation of Canadian history. 
Yeah. So uh, tune in for that. Harry, any closing remarks? No, I, you got it, man. <laughs> Couldn't have Hell. ended it any other way, any better way than that, I think. Hell yeah, brother. Well, we'll uh, Hell yeah. ramble on another week. Yeah. See everyone next week. Thank <laughs> you.